and I talk to women in um, the clinic who come and and can't believe that they're being understood and they thought they were the only ones going mm. through this and so you're right people don't really talk to their to their friends about it and the and up until now there's been very little education there's no education in schools about it um there's very little education in medical schools about it uh, you know when i was at medical school 25 years or so ago i don't i don't really remember the menopause being mentioned once or being taught about it at all um and and so i think i think because it's because it's not talked about i think women continue not to talk about it and so it's kind of kept this this taboo around it I believe everybody has a story and Dhani has been all about these stories coming from opinions, personal experiences, life lessons and so much more. And somewhere along the lines, we find ourselves being part of these stories or they being part of us in nooks and crannies, in crumbs, in echoes and reflections. Our guest today is Dr. Helen Redman, who is an experienced general practitioner in South Birmingham, UK, and has a long-term interest in menopause management and also works as a specialist at Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre in Stratford-upon-Avon. In this podcast, we talk about the hows and whys of menopause, why it is a taboo, how we can lift the taboo through awareness, the um, psychological, emotional, physiological changes in the body when we are going through perimenopause and menopause itself. Dr. Redman also suggests holistic approach to managing the effects of menopause and also HRT. And you might want to listen to the podcast till the end only to find out if men have a similar thing going on for them or not. Thank you for listening and if you like the podcast, please share it with your families, friends, And whichever platform you're listening it at, please do give us a rating. Thank you. Dr. Redman, thank you so much for being on Hani. And I have been so looking forward to our conversation. Oh, thank you. So am I. Dr. Redman, you, um, I'm not going to waste your time. Um, And I want to dive right in and understand this this entire quite tabooed uh, phenomena um, that, uh, you know, half of the world's population suffers from. And I wouldn't even say suffers, but sort of goes through because it is a process called menopause. Mm-hmm. Okay. So again, to talk to us about it as to why it has turned into a taboo, why is it sort of a suffering? Uh, what's going on in our bodies? What are we? I mean, it's a huge ask, and I think probably the whole uh, episode would would run on what you have to say. But just, just yeah, just okay. simplify the whole thing and make us understand. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you so much, Talia, for inviting me to come and speak on your um, podcast. Um, I'm a GP. I work as a GP in Birmingham, in the United Kingdom, and I also work as a menopause specialist at Newson Health 
when well-being and menopause centre in Stratford-upon-Avon in England. Um, the menopause, you're right, it's a huge topic and it's something that there's quite a bit about um, today in the press, which is very different um, from um, some years ago. And I think that's for a number of reasons. I think, first of all, it is something everyone needs to know about. 50% of the population are female, so they're going to be going through the menopause. It's a universal thing. You can't escape it. Um, and then if you're not female yourself, you're going to have relatives that are, you're going to have colleagues that are female. Um, and so it does actually affect everyone. I think there's been a huge realisation uh, more recently that in the past, women just have not been given the right support and advice and treatment um, about the menopause. There's a lot of wrong information out there. Um, and I think there's a lot of um, doctors, healthcare professionals and, and other people who are really trying to um, just kind of, you know, kind of get rid of all the myths that are surrounding the topic of the menopause. I think it's also mm. because there's been a huge change in, in demographics um, in, in the working population. So, you know, 47% of the current workplace is now female, for example. And that's in the last 20 years, there's been a 72% increase in the women over 50 who are in the workplace. So it's a massive amount of women who are being affected who are in, in the workplace. Mm. The average age of the menopause in this country is about 51. And the life expectancy in the UK for a woman um, at the moment is about 85 years. So that's about 40% of a um, woman's life that is postmenopausal. Whereas if we only just turn back the clocks 100 years in the early 1900s, the life expectancy of a woman was in the late 50s. So they didn't have to live so much of their time in the postmenopausal state. And I think it's that... Um, the fact that you know women are living so much longer in a postmenopausal state that we've really got you know got to address it. And you know, coming on to your you know your next question about what actually is the menopause, you know, quite simply, um, it's the time in a woman's life when her ovaries no longer um, produce the hormones that they have been producing up until that time. So they normally produce the hormones. Um, estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. Um, and those hormones, um, um, at the time of the menopause, the ovaries stop working and stop producing those hormones. Um, and the main one that our kind of um, body really, really needs is the estrogen. Um, and um, that's what our bodies seem to miss the most. And the lack of estrogen in our body gives women a lot of symptoms at the time of the menopause. The menopause, actually, the meaning of menopause just means your last period. But there's this word perimenopause, which means kind of around the time of the menopause. So starting maybe up to 10 years beforehand, symptoms um, that are related um, to the menopause. Um, the symptoms, you know, um, because we have estrogen receptors all over our body and in lots of different parts of our body. We have them in our heart, in our bone, in our brain, breast, bladder, um, vagina, in the liver. Because we have, you know, estrogen receptors all over our body, when we don't have any estrogen anymore, um, a lot of the areas of our body are affected. And so we have lots of, of physical symptoms. So we have, you know, the normal ones that you've probably heard of, the hot flushes, the night sweats. But you can also get joint pains, muscle pains, palpitations. That's that's quick beating of your heart. Um, you get headaches or worsening of migraines. Um, you can get itching sensation, um, a change in body shape and weight. You often put on weight around the middle at the time of the menopause. 
And then there's a whole host of psychological problems that women get as well. So one of the main ones is probably um, anxiety. So anxiety is, is a massive problem for women about this, this time. So even if they haven't been particularly anxious in the past, a lot of women do begin to feel anxious and kind of find themselves not you know, being worried about things they weren't worried about before, like um, not driving on motorways anymore, when previously they'd been quite happy to. Um, they often get a low mood, become extremely fatigued, irritable, tearful, um, lack of interest, lack of motivation, memory problems. I mean, some people feel that they're starting to get dementia because they feel that their memory is so poor and they worry about that. Poor concentration and something that you know, people often describe as brain fog, not being able to think clearly um, and also a decrease in, in libido. So that's a decrease in desire to wanting to, to have sex. So, and it's often the psychological symptoms actually of the menopause, which affect women more than the, the physical symptoms and really bother them. It's also the psychological symptoms that affect family life, life at home, relationships and work. A lot of women feel that they, um, that the, these symptoms of not being able to concentrate, um, not their memory being poor really affects um, how they function at work. Um, and so that can cause um, problems as well. So uh, I think I was right when I said it was a whirlwind because it. I, I think it sounds even deeper than that. It's like a tornado that <laughs> yeah. you say, you said, 10 years before the actual um, inset of your mm -hmm. last period. Mm -hmm. Now, my question is that anxiety and mood swings and and sleepless nights and various things sort of continue throughout our regular years as well how do we identify that okay now we are probably menopausal perimenopausal yes that's that's a really good question because um often it's really difficult because often at this time in a woman's life they're quite busy they might have young children or teenage children busy jobs, maybe even looking after older or elderly parents. And a lot of the symptoms of irritability, fatigue, poor memory and, and um, you know, flat mood can, can just be put down to lifestyle and just what's going on at the time. So it's, it's, it's a really good question because a lot of people or a lot of women don't even um, relate the symptoms that they're experiencing to the menopause because they just think, well, this is normal for me. I'm busy. What do you expect? But I think it's sometimes with you can also get changes in your periods. Your periods can begin can begin to be a bit erratic, not getting them every month, be a bit lighter or heavier than normal. Some changes there, and I think it's it's I think it's just really being aware of the fact that these symptoms can be associated with, with the menopause. And I think there is a lot more in the media now, and there's um, um, there's a lot of information out there, kind of you know trying to educate women that um, these are some of the symptoms associated with the menopause so that they, they they might link the two together. Because I think up until now, a lot of women have just got on and not put two and two together and, and blamed themselves for not feeling good um, and, and and not realise that it's, it's something happening to their bodies and it is actually the menopause. We don't usually do any any blood tests unless you're particularly young and you're experiencing symptoms because actually the blood tests, are, we can check your hormone levels, but um, they're often all over the place at this time anyway. And so it all depends on when you, whether you, you know, what day you choose to do the blood test. So, so we don't do a, a test to identify it. It's really just the collection of symptoms all together. Um, and 
And, and often people say, yeah, I do feel low and I feel all these things, but actually I'm not depressed. It doesn't feel like that. This feels like something different. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, maybe talking to your doctor um, about the symptoms and kind of teasing out and, and just kind of, um, you know, you know, trying to get to the bottom of it, just kind of think actually, you know, this could well be menopausal. Right. So uh, first talking from, and you, you can sort of take it, um, um, sort of steer it whichever way you want to, in terms of body work, in terms of exercise, mm-hmm. perimenopause and then postmenopause, how important it is and what kind of body workout are we talking about, which okay. will sort of maintain bone health, um, help us sleep better, yeah. okay. I mean, various things. Yeah, that there are. Uh, and that actually brings me to another point, which I haven't made yet. But I've talked about the symptoms that women can experience at the time of the menopause. So that's both the physical symptoms and the psychological symptoms, which I've, I've gone through. But the other thing about the menopause is that after the menopause, there are um, there is a kind of a risk to women's health, as it were, after the menopause, because um, after the menopause, you've got an increased risk of osteoporosis, that's thinning of the bones. There's an increased risk of cardiovascular disease after the menopause, so that's heart attacks and strokes. There's an increased risk of dementia. There's an increased risk of type 2 diabetes. And there's an increased risk of raised cholesterol after the um, menopause. And so all those things, you know, happen to women after the menopause. Beforehand, the oestrogen protects women against those those diseases but once that's gone um, women are at risk of these diseases one way there's several ways that we can tackle all of this one is hrt or hormone replacement therapy which i'll come on to a bit later but if we're talking about exercise then exercise is really important for women at every stage of their life but when we're talking about the menopause it's particularly important for um for the lots of reasons one is that because you've got an increased risk of cardiovascular disease after the menopause, you want to have your cardiovascular disease in as best condition as it can be. We know that exercise is good for that. So doing some cardiovascular exercise, so getting your heart rate up um, you know, several times a week doing exercise is good for you. Also, losing the weight by doing exercises is good for you because then that also will reduce your risk of heart disease in the future. We also know that weight-bearing exercise is good for your bones. And because I've said there's this risk of osteoporosis, that's thinning of your bones after the menopause, any exercise that increases your bone strength is good for you. And so that is really weight-bearing exercises. So it can just be walking. So walking is really good for you or jogging or, or doing some jumping. But anything where you're kind of, you know, bearing weight down or on your feet and legs are moving um, is good for you. And also, there's, you know, it's, it's well documented mm-hmm. that um, exercise is good for your mental health as well. So it's not just your mental health, or, or sorry, it's not just your physical health, it is your mental health as well. And all these exercises are good. And the best exercises are, it's a mixture, doing a little bit of everything. And, and the most important thing is actually doing whatever a woman finds enjoyable, whatever you find enjoyable and you're going to do, do that. There's no point saying you're going to take up... Um, take up running if you absolutely hate running you know you're not going to do it you're not going to stick at it you know find something that you enjoy and do it and just mix it up a bit and just do a bit of everything right so uh that's the workout what about uh micronutrients and um, the the uh, the nutritional um sort of diet yeah um yeah again it's it's good just to eat a 
a healthy diet. Um, one of the best diets to eat, probably the easiest diet to eat is what we call the Mediterranean style diet. You can, um, you know, that's, you know, where it's got all the major food groups, um, you know, incorporated into that. The Mediterranean diet is known to be really good for your bones and for your cardiovascular. That's your heart health. Um, it's lots of vegetables, nuts, beans, cereals, fish and um, unsaturated fats like olive oil um, and just, you know, a, a lowish amount of meat and dairy. That's a really good diet. Um, but, you know, it's 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 just having a balanced mm -hmm. diet, you know, as with all of those ingredients in the diet, you know, in moderate amounts. It's also good for the bones, you know, because I keep talking about this thinning of the bones, which can lead to fractures in later life, you know, to have a, a diet which has got lots of calcium in it. And that's dairy products, green leafy vegetables and other vegetables like cabbage and broccoli, nuts again, um, tofu, dried fruit, all of that has got lots of calcium in, which is which is good for your bones. Um, vitamin D mm. is also really good for your bones. And, you know, in, if we're not getting enough through our skin, so exam for example, in the UK, you know, we don't usually get enough from the sunlight, which makes the, helps make the vitamin D in our, in our skin. Um, so, you know, we're advised to take um, supplements of vitamin D in this country now. Everyone is. Um, whatever colour their skin is, is to take um, new, um, vitamin D supplements for Octo from October through to April. Um, and that's a thousand international units daily and they can just be bought um or ordered over the internet so you know it's important that you know we and that we do have a really balanced diet and um, um you know to to help our bones and to help our cardiovascular health as well so you you did you did mention that post uh there are many options to manage the the levels, the lower levels of estrogen. So uh, yeah. if you were to talk about, um, say, holistic treatments and then perhaps coming to HRT, uh, what are we looking at? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, holistic treatments really is the... Um combination of your diet and your exercise um, there are some some products that you can buy um, over the counter which can help with um, some menopausal symptoms um, you can um, you need to be a little bit careful about those because there's not an awful lot of, um, of data and trials that have been around it but certainly if you buy things and it helps you with your symptoms then that's absolutely fine um, you might need to be a bit careful if you're on other medication or you've got other chronic diseases or illnesses going on at the same time that it doesn't interfere with any of the treatments for that um, but you know that is something that you can try I would always be aware of bioidentical hormones. We'll come on to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but um, stay away from what is called bioidentical hormones. These are hormones that are not regulated. There's very little data about them. There's no safety data, no trials surrounding them. Um, and you know, they're generally, it's advisable to kind of stay away from them. They're quite expensive usually as well. They're often prescribed by... Um, private clinics, um, and um, I would I would stay away from those because there's just not got any safety data around them. Um, you can have other apart from I mean, I'm going to come on to talk about HRT in a moment, but there are some other medications that you can have prescribed for some of the um, 
um, symptoms of the menopause, which you can you can go and discuss with your doctor. Um, so some some forms of antidepressants can also help, for example, with your hot flushes and the night sweats, um, and they can be really useful if someone can't take HRT. You can also have cognitive behavioural therapy. That's CBT. There's been some useful. Um, trials with regards to having CBT at the time of the menopause to help you cope with the symptoms and um, that can be useful as well. But if we come on to mm. hormone replacement therapy, um, hormone replacement therapy is simply um, replacing the estrogen that your body no longer is producing itself. It's, it's just a, a replacement of that. It's nothing else. Um, and that's something that's really useful. It consists of just the estrogen um, and, um, you know, it comes in various forms. It comes in tablets, patches, gels, and there's even now a spray. And, um, and the best um, type of estrogen to take is what we call body identical estrogen. Um, and that's and body identical just means that it has the same molecular structure as our own hormones. So it's made from plants. It's actually derived from the yam plant. And it's a really safe form of estrogen. The best mm. way of taking oestrogen is, is through the skin. So that's either in a patch or a gel or a spray, um, because then there's no increased risk of blood clot. Um, several, you know, quite a few years ago, it was thought that oestrogen could um, increase the risk of blood clot. Um, and in fact, it did years ago. Some, uh, there was a very small increased risk of blood clot, but that was on the older types of oestrogen, not the body identical. And when it was taken orally, that's when it was swallowed in a tablet form. But when it's taken through the skin, um, as I said, in either a patch or a gel that you rub into your skin or a spray, which you literally just spray onto your skin, then there's no increased risk of blood clot. And that, um, and estrogen generally is really, really good in resolving the, um, um, the physical and psychological symptoms of the menopause. The other thing that it also does is it reduces our risk of the diseases that I talked about that you get after the menopause. So it reduces the risk of osteoporosis, it reduces the risk of heart disease and stroke, it reduces the risk of type 2 diabetes, and it reduces the risk of um, dementia as well. Taking oestrogen on its own, if you just took the oestrogen, it would cause the lining of the womb to get thickened. And so you do need to take a progesterone, that's a, as a, the hormone progesterone as well, to keep the lining of the womb thin. And there is also right. a body identical progesterone that you can take, um, mm. which is really safe. Um, and you can take that with the oestrogen to keep the lining of your womb thin. Um, right. And so that, you know, that is available, it's readily available from... Um, in the UK from, from your, your doctor, um, you know, and it really is something that, um, you know, you should discuss if you're going having symptoms at the moment or you're coming into the menopause to be aware um, of, the, of the benefits of HRT. There's been quite a bit of negativity towards HRT, actually, you know, in the media. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, should we talk about that for a bit? It's kind of, um, I don't know whether you remember, um, Sadia, back in 2002, there were um, two really big trials came out, the Million Women Study and the um, Women's Health Initiative. And these were two really large um, studies that came out. And actually, a lot of the negativity towards HRT comes from these. They were actually um, leaked to the press before they had any peer review. Um, 
And when they were looked at more closely, they were shown to be very poorly designed trials and the results were shown to be inaccurate. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the data has been reanalyzed 10 years later and it actually suggests that the benefits of HRT would outweigh the risks of the majority of women. And ongoing, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of the, what these studies showed was actually that, or what they th- were thought to show at the time, that there was an increased risk of breast cancer and heart disease with HRT. But actually, ongoing analysis of the data um, from these two shot studies has shown that there is no increased risk of breast cancer um, with estrogen only HRT. So that's if you haven't got a wound, for if you've had a hysterectomy and you're just on estrogen, there's no risk of breast cancer at all. And if you're taking estrogen and progesterone, there is a small risk, but it's very, very small. And it actually depends mm-hmm. on the type of progesterone. And this, the body identical progesterone that I was talking about a minute or so ago, actually there's no increased risk of breast cancer for the first five years. And then after that, the risk is very small. The results were... Com- um, and kind of uh, completely analysed incorrectly. Um, they were also using a very old type of HRT, which we no longer use anymore. Um, and so it's it's it really this study has been turned on its head. But actually, um, you know, that doesn't hit the media because it doesn't make good stories. You know, the media likes bad news. It likes to shock everyone. But <laughs> but what and and what happened at the time was that actually everyone got really scared about the data that they. Um, that they, they were reading and and that's a women hordes of women stopped their hrt straight away um and um and doctors healthcare professionals were also worried because this was also reported in the medical um press as well not just in the in the normal press and so um and it's taking a very very long time for you know people to be re-educated and to to learn the you know the true facts um that actually um, you know, HRT pretty you know is pretty the the benefits outweigh the risks in 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 most in most people. Obviously, if you've got mm. other health conditions, you do need to talk to uh, you know, your doctor or a menopause specialist about this. It's very important that you do that. But um, um, it's definitely something to be considered because it has such benefits for your future health as well. You know, we're living longer, as I've said earlier. As, as women, we now uh, live a long time. But actually, we want to have a good quality of life. Um, and we want to be well. We want to enjoy life and be able to, for, you know, um, um, uh, be fulfilled in our life and be able to have the energy and, and the good health to be able to do this. Sure. So how long do you prescribe this HRT for? Like yeah. five years? Ten years yeah, it's... Um, yeah, actually, the, the the latest NICE guidelines, that's the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, which kind of advises us doctors in the, in the UK about um, um, prescribing and managing all medical conditions. The ones for the menopause now say that there's no um, age limit for HRT. So actually, you can take it for as long as you like. You can take it until you, until you die it, it you know there's no upper age limit for it so you can take it for a few years or you can take it for many 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 years um, we've got plenty mm. of patients in their 70s and 80s and even some in their 90s who are taking hrt so now it's really important to know that um, there's no upper age limit for it mm. i think you've almost sort of uh, put the, the the tornado at rest <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's right <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, it you you make it sound uh, less scary, less yeah. um, overwhelming, and I'm just wondering that why 
is it that all this time it's been dealt with something that has to be kept under covers um there's a large degree of shame associated with it yes and any sort of support groups around where we can I don't know. I mean, how do we even? Because I understand from the uh, the from the medicinal point of view that things mm-hmm. can be sort of handled, but from a psycholo- psychological point of view, why would any woman feel shameful or alone in this sort of journey? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And what and that's your last point there why would they feel shameful or and alone and I think you're right I think people feel so shameful and alone and and I talk to women in um, the clinic who come and and can't believe that they're being understood and they thought they were the only ones going mm-hmm. through this and so you're right people don't really talk to their to their friends about it and and up until now there's been very little education there's no education in schools about it um there's very little education in medical schools about it uh, you know when i was at medical school 25 years or so ago i don't i don't really remember the menopause being mentioned once or being taught about it at all um and and so i think i think because it's because it's not talked about i think women continue not to talk about it and so it's kind of kept this this taboo around it um and 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 they and when once you start thinking that you're the only person going through something you don't want to um, put your hand up and say hey this is happening to me just in case it's not happening to other women um mm-hmm. but i think actually the truth is once women start talking about it they realize that everyone is or most women are having some symptoms of some kind and 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 maybe hadn't put two and two together and thought it was due to the menopause. So I think there's a lot of, of women out there who are experiencing symptoms and don't feel themselves and feel tired all the time, run down. They don't. Their relationship with their partners are suffering. Um, they're irritable at home. They're not coping at work. All these things. And and I think you know, as a society, we are made to feel that we need to cope. That we need to be strong and. Um, and there's still this, you know, anything to do with mental health, there's a big stigma around, isn't there? And so I think it's with menopausal health yeah. and it overlaps with mental health. There remains this stigma. And um, our mothers often don't speak to us about their menopause. It's not something that's spoken readily yeah. about in the home. Yeah. It's something that's joked about a lot, isn't it? You kind of often hear jokes about the menopause and kind of, you know, women with fans having to fan themselves because they're having hot flushes. And it's it's a little bit of a joke subject. And so I think kind of people then feel that they can't talk about it in a normal, helpful way because it's, it's yeah. uh, they'll be laughed at. There's, and also a lot of the problems that come with the menopause are quite personal. They can become personal in that it affects their relationships. And sometimes that's hard to talk about um you can you know the your libido can reduce hugely um and partners might might not be understanding of that you know the the other symptoms that people often don't talk about is vaginal dryness you can get a terrible vaginal dryness and soreness because of the lack of estrogen to the vaginal tissues and that's very uh, uh, you know often people don't talk about the intimate parts of their body and especially in some cultures I think it's you know some cultures find this very um, very difficult to talk about and so I think it's harder in some cultures than other cultures Um, Mm -hmm. and so it has uh, you know, it has remained a taboo for for so long, and I think there's this kind of thought that, you know, of 
people use the term sailing through, you know, oh, I sailed through my menopause, as if it's kind of something great that they've done. And, and you know, <laughs> they kind of want that badge of honour that they've sailed through it without kind of having to seek any help or do anything about it. But actually, you know, there's you don't get a medal for getting through it without anything or for not getting any help or or talking about it. And, um, yeah, and so it's, it's I, I don't know, I think that it's just still associated with there is this kind of... Um, perceived weakness if you ask for any help or um yeah. kind of support through it, which, right? yeah for anything <laughs> that's right that's right yeah but but you know what the way you started when you said that it's important for everyone to know so yes it's important for yeah uh, the partners or the husbands or any the right. children to know that's right so that they, they are aware of it and they sort of take it um in a stride that okay there is a situation and we have yes. to deal with it um yes. in a very supportive uh, way rather than just pinning it down or sort of labeling it that okay you're probably having a mood swing and okay yes. you know you're you you, so you're absolutely right. Um, I think it's this podcast is 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 very very valid, not just women but men That's as right. well. Yes. And talking about men, and talking about closure, uh, talking about coming to the end of a podcast. Um, just out of curiosity, do men have a similar? <laughs> um, not really, not really. Um, they they don't. The male hormones don't. Um, they get a little bit less over time as as a man you know, gets older, but they don't have this sudden drop that women do. Um, you know, if you kind of were looking along a graph and you see a woman's menopause and you're in her fifties, the the estrogen levels really do dramatically drop off, and it's that big change that really causes the symptoms and the big drop in. Um, in hormone levels whereas a man's hormone levels just kind of get a little bit less as they get older but they don't have that kind of big drop and affecting in the in the same way it it has more health consequences in women um and and it it's it's it, it, so no <laughs> men don't really have the same thing yeah cool <laughs> okay <laughs> so um Dr. Redman, it has been a delight talking to you. And I am just wondering that if the listeners want to find out more about you and your work, where can they find you? Yeah, they can find them. Um, um, well, I work for Newsome Health. Um, which is the men Wellbeing and Menopause Centre in Stratford-on-Avon. And so you can um, find me there and other doctors there. That's run by Louise Newsom. Um, there's also a website called My Menopause Doctor. Um, if you just put that into Google, um, that's got lots and lots of information about the menopause. It's really good. There's lots of other podcasts on there, lots of information sheets to read, really down to earth, a really accessible website. There's also... Um, um, a charity, being uh, which Louise Newson, who runs Newson Health uh, Menopause Clinic, is starting up a charity called Menno Charity, which is there and it's going to be offering free advice to women. Um, there's going to be a support line and lots of information on there. That is currently being launched at the moment. So watch out for that. Um, so there is there's a lot of information that you can find on the Internet. Um, and I would go to my menopause doctor for um, first port of call for getting information. There's also... Um, um, yeah, I mean, and that uh, the Menno charity you can also find on Instagram. Of course, brilliant, lovely, lovely talking to you. Thank you for uh, putting a lot of my concerns um, at rest because I think I'm sort of in the perimenopause um, <laughs> stage myself. <laughs> and um, 
listeners, again, as Dr. Redmond said, visit these websites, find out more, because the more aware we are, I think the easier it becomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Redmond, for your time and for all the information that you passed on to us. Uh, you're very welcome, Sadia. Thank you very much. <laughs>